There was once a 10-year-old boy who heard a sermon all about being persistent in prayer. And that night, he prayed in his room. And as his father passed his bedroom door, he heard his son distinctly saying over and over again, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. And the next day, the dad asked his son what he had been doing. The boy replied that he had given the wrong answer in a geography test at school. And he was praying that Tokyo would become the capital city of Mexico. (laughs) Now, sadly uh, for that boy, Tokyo did not become the capital city of Mexico. But that boy might have felt understandably resentful that it didn't, given the sermon he had heard. After all, didn't Jesus himself promise that whatever we ask in prayer, we would receive? Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 23 to 24, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now surely changing the capital city of Mexico is no harder for God than casting a mountain into the sea. But however much we might smile at that boy's prayer, uh, the truth is his disappointment uh, can often be our own. We perhaps might earnestly pray to God uh, for him to give us something. We might pray long. We might pray repeatedly. Uh, We might be um, full of faith, we think, as we pray. And yet, the thing we ask for doesn't happen. And we think, what did Jesus mean? Why has God not heard my prayer? Well, this ancient passage, which we read from 2 Kings uh, chapter 13, uh, written hundreds of years before Christ lived on this earth, gives us guidance. It gives us encouragement in answer to that question. This passage is all about King Jehoash. And King Jehoash was um, one of the kings, as I said, of Israel. He was the grandson of King Jehu, who we looked at a few weeks ago. And during his reign, the great prophet of God, Elisha, was dying. And the king comes to him, and he weeps over him, it says in verse 14. And he says something very strange. He says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And the most likely uh, meaning of these words is, Joash realizes that Elisha is really the powerhouse behind Israel. Uh, If you had read earlier in the passage, you'll know that 
Um, the passage describes how Israel's uh, horses and their chariots had been depleted, and yet they'd still managed to win victories. And that was largely due, due to the prayers of Elisha. Uh, if you read earlier in the book, uh, you can read some of the miracles that were performed by God through Elisha. And now Joash comes to Elisha, and Elisha is dying. And he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He says, what will we do without you? How can we hope to defeat the armies of Syria if you are no longer with us? He knew that it was Elisha's press and Elisha's God who had won Israel's victory. Now Elisha is going away and Joash is distraught. But Elisha tells the king to pick up his bow and his arrows. And he instructs Joash to string a bow, uh, an arrow onto the bow. And Elisha places his hands on the king of Israel's hands. And he instructs him to fire an arrow through the east window, which is in the direction of Syria, uh, Israel's mortal enemy. And he tells the king, as that arrow flies, as it were, through the air, he tells him that God has promised to give Joash the victory over Syria. That is not all he does. He then tells Joash to take the remaining arrows from his quiver and to strike them on the ground. Now, it's not exactly clear what is being described here. It could be that Joash picks up the arrows in his hands and manually strikes them into the ground, or the wording of the passage could mean that he strings, he's instructed to string the arrow one after another onto the bow and fire them after the window but into the ground, so obviously that he doesn't hit anyone. Uh, that could be what Elisha is instructing. But either way... Elisha is instructing him to strike these arrows in the ground. But the king stops after three times, or he stops after just three arrows. He doesn't empty his quiver. And Elisha rebukes him. He says, you should have hit the ground five or six times, because then you would have defeated Syria completely. As it is, you will only defeat them three times and not utterly. As I said, it's a strange story. Um, You might think, what on earth are we to make of this story? Is this some sort of magic incantation? (laughs) Does the Bible teach that God works through bows and arrows in this way? Should we all go and buy ourselves a bow and arrow of our own? And somehow use it to manipulate God? Well, the Bible says that all scripture is written for our understanding. It's written to give us hope and encouragement. And trustfully, uh, that's what it will give us now in the next few minutes. Let's just start uh, with the first half of this passage where Elisha, uh, the prophet of God, places his hands over the king of Israel's hands. Now, I'm sure, I'm certain, in fact, that Joash was more than capable 
uh, of physically stringing the arrow and shooting it out of the window. He did not need the dying hands of Elisha to instruct him how to fire an arrow. And yet, Elisha, almost like a parent teaching his child, places his hands over the king's hands. And in that one gesture, we have a beautiful picture of the Christian life. It was not hard for Joash to shoot an arrow in his own strength. And likewise, it's not hard for us to do all sorts of good things. To visit the sick, to, to give to the poor, uh, to pray. Uh, it's not hard physically to do these things, however hard we may find them. Just like it wasn't hard for Joash to fire that arrow. But if we want our good works to be effective, to be useful to God, if we want our lives to bear fruit then our actions must be guided by the word of God. That is what Elisha represents in this passage. Elisha was the prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God. He was, if you like, God's mouthpiece. And so when Elisha puts his hands over the king's hands, Joash is being guided by the word of God. Not just physically by Elisha's hands, but by Elisha's very words when he says to him in verse 17, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Verbally and by gesture, Joash is being guided by God's word. And we must be too. Um, Elisha is now long since dead. The prophets are dead. The apostles of the New Testament are dead. But they still speak to us. They still speak to us in the word they have left to us. So although we may not have the prophet Elisha or the prophet Elijah or Peter or Paul in front of us, we can still read what they said, what God inspired them to teach us. And as Joash was guided By the word of God, so must we. Uh, Imagine it like this. Uh, Imagine a son who is employed by his father in his carpentry business. And you can imagine uh, the great pride the father will have as he teaches his son how to plane wood uh, or how to sand down the furniture. And you can almost imagine him placing his hands over his son's hands and guiding him and instructing him and teaching him so that he too might become a carpenter in the business. And that's what God has done for us. If we're a believer this morning, if we've repented of our sins and we are trusting in Christ, we have been adopted into God's family. We have had all our sins washed away and God has recruited us, if I can say it this way, into his family business. God's business becomes our business. We get to be co-workers with God. Now, you saw this at the end of Matthew's Gospel. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus sent his disciples into all the world. He said, go and preach the Gospel to every creature. Jesus recruits his disciples. He even said to his disciples, you 
are the lights of the world. We are the means by which God works in this world for his promotion of, uh, of the, for the promotion of his kingdom and for his glory. Sadly, though, uh, many Christians uh, have reversed the role. Uh, instead of understanding us as being servants of God, equipped by him to accomplish his purposes, many Christians think that becoming a Christian means God is recruited into our business. <laughs> that when you become a Christian, God becomes on your team and you can use God to accomplish what you desire in this world. Rather than God being the archer and us the bow, we make ourselves the archer and God the bow. But this passage makes very clear which way round it is. Joash must be guided by God. He is a servant of God's word. God doesn't serve us as we seek to establish our kingdom. God serves us as we seek to establish his kingdom. And that's the first lesson we learn from this strange story in the Bible. There's a second lesson. There's a second lesson we learn in the second half of this unusual story. Look what Joash does next. Uh, Joash fires this arrow out the window and Elisha gives him this wonderful assurance from God that he will win victory over the, uh, the Syrian army. Then in verse 18, Elisha says to him, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck them three times and stopped. He stopped after three times and Elisha says to him, or well, it says in verse 19, and the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. He had the opportunity for a complete victory over Syria. But instead, he's now only going to have a partial one. Here's the lesson for us. God has not only invited us to be his co-workers in this world. He has even, to some extent, limited his actions in this world to us. Now, this is why the whole world hasn't yet heard about Christ. Uh, New Tribes Mission are doing their hardest that that might happen. Other missionary organizations are trying to make it so. But the whole world has not yet heard about Christ because God has given that task to us. If I can say this reverently, God has to an extent tied his hands by using us as his means in this world. Now, to be absolutely clear, um, God has accomplished our salvation all by himself. Uh, he did that without any of our aid. Uh, the forgiveness of our sins... Uh, our adoption into God's family is all God's gift. All we need to do is humbly accept and receive that. We don't accomplish that. That's not our work. God gives that to us when we repent and when we believe. 
But as I said, after we have repented and believed, after we have received the gift of salvation, God adopts us into his family. And then he sets us to work. He gives us the wonderful privilege of being his hands in this world. It reminds me of a story of a preacher I heard of uh, who once stood in a pulpit. And in his prayer, he prayed for all the lost people, uh, the unbelieving people in the church's community. And he prayed, O Lord, touch them with your finger. As he said those words, his words faltered. And the congregation were concerned. And one um, worried congregation member inquired if he was okay. And the preacher replied, yes. But it just, it's just that when I prayed for God to touch them with his finger, a little voice deep inside of me seemed to say, you are the finger. Do you see the point? It's one thing to pray, and we should pray, we must pray. But we are also the means by which God answers our own prayers so often. Uh, We might pray for our neighbour that they might be saved, but alongside that prayer, we should also speak to them and share with them the good news. It's not always easy. Uh, Sometimes we don't know how to do it. But God will equip us as we seek to obey his commands. This is why Christ says that we are the light of the world. This is why Jesus says, go into all the world and preach, share the gospel. Uh, It's through us that the world will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Not because we are glorious, but because God is glorious and he has filled us with his Holy Spirit if we are his children. But it needs to be repeated again, uh, as we've already learned. God doesn't send us alone. (laughs) He doesn't say, you're off on your own, go and share the gospel, and good luck. That's not what God says. Again, do you remember the end of Matthew? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God still has his hands on us, if we are his children. He instructs us. He guides us. He supports us. He furnishes us with great and precious promises and instruction and commands as we seek to obey him. He holds our hand as we, like a child learning to plane in his father's carpentry workshop, he holds our hands as we seek to obey him. The tragedy is so often we do not cash in on the promises of God. We can be like Joash, and he has been given, if you like, a blank check from God. God has told him, these arrows are Syria. And if that truth had sunk deep into his soul, he would have struck those into the ground till they were just dust. If he had truly understood that promise of God. He would have fired until there were no arrows left. But his obedience is half-hearted because he does not truly believe the promise. Maybe he felt foolish. Perhaps he thought, it's just an arrow. (laughs) What good can this accomplish? Uh, Perhaps he didn't think it was possible 
that God might win victory over the Syrians. Either way, his obedience was half-hearted. His faith in the promise was weak. Again, reminds me of another story about a rich businessman. And he was walking uh, the streets one time and he saw a poor beggar. And his heart was moved to compassion for this poor beggar. And apparently he carried his money with him because he pulled out his pocket a huge wad of money. And in his compassion, he handed it to this beggar. And the beggar was so thankful. Well, a few weeks later, that businessman was walking down the same street. And he came across the same beggar. But the beggar was dressed exactly the same. He was still begging. There had been no material change in his circumstances. And the businessman asked him, why are you still here? I gave you enough money to get you back on your feet. Uh, You should be living in, uh, if not luxury, but in comfort right now. And yet you're still on the street. In the smile on his face, the tramp brought out of his pocket the same wad of money that the businessman had given him. And he kept it safe. He kept it clean. He would made sure nothing happened to the money. But he hadn't spent any of it. That's what we can do with the promises of God. Instead of seeking God's will in his word, instead of listening to what God has to say to us and claiming those commands and claiming those promises, we, as it were, keep our Bible on the shelf and we perhaps read it on occasion. But the words never become action in our lives. So let's be slow to judge King Joash. Uh, The truth is that we can be just like him. Great faith, you know, is not merely daring to ask God to do the great things that we want. Uh, Great faith is daring to try in God's strength to accomplish what God wants. Those are the great people of faith in this world. Those who read God's word, who read his commands and say, in God's strength, I'm going to do it. I don't know how. I feel inadequate. I feel unable. But God has commanded it. So I'm going to accomplish it. That's what faith is. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember the apostle Peter? And do you remember how he walked on the water? Do you know how Peter walked on the water? Uh, You'll say perhaps it was faith. And yes, it, it was faith. Perhaps you'll say it was through looking to Christ. And yes, it was looking to Christ, which is faith. But many people who tell that story forget how that story started. The story started with Christ himself walking on the water. And the disciples see him, and Peter asks Jesus a question. He says to Jesus, command me to come out to you. Invite me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter is able to walk on the water. And as I say, many people forget 
that question that Peter asked. The reason Peter asked that question was because Peter knew there was no hope in him walking on that water unless it was God's will. If Christ didn't command it, he had no assurance that he would be able to walk on the water like Christ did. But once he had the command, once he had the instruction from Christ's lips, then he knew he could do it because Christ would never command him to do something that was not possible for him to do with Christ's strength. Do you see the power that gives us whenever we read any command of God in Scripture? Whenever we read a command in the Bible, God is telling us, you can do this. With my strength, through Christ, you can do what I command you. So many times we bellyache about, oh, we're so full of sin. And it's true, we are. But the Bible says through Christ, we can win victory over sin. Let me close by giving a few examples. Um, We haven't been given the promise that Joash was, that if we strike an arrow several times into the ground, we'll get victory. That was a promise for him, not for us. But Christ has given us many other promises. For example, uh, Jesus commands us to pray for workers in God's kingdom. He tells us to go into all the world and share the gospel. And if our faith is strong, we should be barraging God's throne with pleas for more missionaries, for more evangelists, for more church leaders, for elders, uh, for more people to share God's word. Because we've been told that is what God's will is. We should be night and day, as it were, praying to God, asking him to accomplish his purposes, that we might fulfill what he has commanded of us. Jesus commands us to pray not to enter into temptation. As I've said, how quick we are to bellyache about the temptations and the sins that we have to battle. Uh, Those things, those ways in which we fail again and again and again. Uh, A bitter spirit. Uh, An angry, uh, a temper, a short temper we might have. That lust which gets the better of us again and again and again. And we might whinge and moan about these things, but Jesus says, pray that you enter not in temptation. The Bible says, sin will not have victory over you. And so we should be, as it were, firing arrow after arrow into heaven. Prayer after prayer to God, please lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. That's how faith shows itself in our lives. Taking God at his word and transforming that into prayer and into action in our lives. Again, Jesus commands us to forgive those who hate us. That's hard, isn't it? Uh, Every single one of us have people who have hurt us greatly. Uh, It's very hard to live with the pain that other people have caused us, perhaps people we love and who we thought loved us. But it's very easy with that to wallow in self-righteousness and self-pity. But Jesus says, forgive those who hate you. And so we should be turning those feelings of bitterness into prayer. 
And we should turn it like Joash did inadequately. And we should be besieging heaven's door, asking God to transform our hearts, make us the merciful people that he wants us to be. Reminds me of the story of Corrie ten Boom. Remember Corrie ten Boom? She was a Dutch uh, woman during the Second World War, and she and her family hid Jews, and eventually they were caught, and she and her family were sent to various concentration camps, and Corrie ten Boom lost her sister uh, in Ravensbrück. Uh, but eventually she was released. And many, many years later, she was speaking at an event, and afterwards a man uh, approached her, And he held out her hands to shake it. And he said to her, thank you so much for your message. Uh, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I used to be a prison guard at Ravensbrook. And in that man's face, Corrie ten Boom saw one of her persecutors. One of the people who were ultimately responsible for the death of her sister. And here he was holding out his hand to shake it because he was now a believer. And she says how in that moment she couldn't pick up her hand. She said, how can I forgive this man? How can I forgive this man who has caused me and my family so much hurt? But she knew what God said. She knew what Christ commanded. And so in her heart she fired an arrow, as it were, into heaven. And she said, God, I cannot change my heart. I cannot work forgiveness by willpower alone. All I can do is lift my hand. You must do the rest. And that's what she did. In faith, she lifted her hand to shake the hand of this prison guard, or this ex-prison guard. And she testifies that in that moment, her bitterness melted away. She could feel love for this man who had done terrible things but was now forgiven by God. And how could she withhold forgiveness from one whom God himself had forgiven? And she took his hand and she said, I forgive you, brother. That's how God shows his power in this world. When we act in faith with God's commands and God's promises as the kindling for that faith, Listen to what God's word says and then act on it and you will see amazing things from God. This was the problem uh, with that boy's prayer at the beginning uh, of this message. You remember that little boy? Uh, Now, it was very much his will that the capital city of Mexico City change. Uh, I'm not sure it was God's will. Uh, For example, uh, just think about all the people who got the question right (laughs) I imagine they would not be very happy if God decided to change the capital city of Mexico to Tokyo. They would have every right to feel aggrieved at God, even if the boy had reason to thank him. That boy's prayer was not rooted in the commands and promises of God. But they don't need to be. But we don't need to worry about that. We've been given many great and precious promises in God's word, more than enough to go on with. Now, did you notice what the verse I put on the front of your service sheet, written by John, uh, one of the most beloved disciples of Jesus? 
And John wrote, this is the confidence that we have in him, in Christ, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. When God's word is seeping into our soul, when we make God's business our business, or more rightly, God makes his business our business, that's when we see wonderful answers to our prayers. Look through church history. Uh, If I had time, I could give you story after story of men and women who have gone out to the mission field, to men and women who have, uh, in costly ways, sought to obey Christ, and they testify to wonderful answers to prayer. Uh, Graham and Oliver are not with us, but ask them. Ask them of their time in Brazil. Ask them for stories of God's provision. Uh, Read of Hudson Taylor, who went out to China to share the gospel. And he tells on one occasion how he was on a ship in a storm and the wind was against them and they would never reach shore if nothing, if something did not change. And the captain said, we've tried everything. And Hudson Taylor said, no, <laughs> we haven't tried everything. And he and three of his friends went below decks and they prayed to God for an east wind. And he testified that God sent it. Again, time would fail to speak of men like George Muller, Amy Carmichael, Tokoi Ten Boom again. Men and women who sought to obey God and in their willingness to obey God made great requests of God and he heard them because they were seeking his kingdom. We just sang it, didn't we? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things... (laughs) shall be added unto you. If you put God in first place, if you are seeking to obey him, you don't need to worry about anything else. God is more than capable of giving you everything that you need. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be half-hearted like Joash. Abide in God's word. Listen to God's word and turn that word into prayer. And that's what I've chosen as our last hymn, number 771. 771. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our need, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. So let's stand to sing 771.